Hey everyone, welcome to the Human Enhancement Podcast, uh, the new name from the Thinking Podcast. I'm your host, Jeffrey Wu, and I'm really excited to have Peter Bose with me today. Uh, Peter uh, is a longtime experienced reporter for the BBC and also the host of the Llama Podcast. And we've gotten to know each other over the last couple years when Peter had, a, had an assignment to cover fasting in Silicon Valley and we became uh, a friends connecting over all sorts of weird, now it doesn't seem that weird, but I guess for the general population, weird sort of eating routines or weird uh, regimens to potentially increase our longevity. So I'm really excited to turn the tides here, turn the tables here, where I'm the host and Peter's the subject. <laughs> Welcome to the show. Thank you, Jeff. Good to talk to you again. Yeah, so we've obviously, uh, I think even in the last year or so, seen a bit of a title shift going from fasting uh, more and more going to the mainstream. I'm curious how you first started getting into the notion of fasting. I know you've been covering this space for you know a, a few years now. Yeah, it's been a, it's going quite a long journey, and it's uh, it's a journey I think that still has a long way to go for a lot of the reasons that you've just been spelling out in in terms of uh, the science is progressing, but then the I think the acceptability factor is still kind of hanging in the air in terms of of fasting and people's understanding of of what fasting is. So my journey it started with a series of BBC documentaries and, and features that I was doing covering different aspects of health and fitness. Uh, and that included diet and and eventually it led me to fasting and to, to groups like yours. So I made, for example, a, a documentary about the, one of the so-called blue zones uh, just outside of, of Los Angeles. And uh, for all, they're not a particularly um, fasting community oriented group of people. They, I think their longevity and they live eight to 10 years longer than most Americans. Diet is a, a key component of um, I think one of their secrets to longevity, the others being the, the amount of exercise they do. And I think there's a certain element of a spirituality. It's a Seventh-day Adventist community and they uh, they respect the Sabbath being a, a Saturday. I, I don't think you necessarily need to be religious for this to work for you, but it's a kind of um, let's move away from technology. Let's spend time with our families. Let's just uh, decompress for a little while. And I think those three components of exercise and diet and, and spirituality all help them achieve a great age. So that's kind of why I'm history covering stories like that and it led me to to you and to, to your group and we had a, we had a great breakfast in in san francisco and uh, and, and that was a beginning really i think i mean I, i'd done some other stuff with with walter longo at usc of course and taking part in the clinical trial periodic fasting as opposed to the more intermittent fasting that you do but um all in all it's uh, it, it sparked my interest and uh, as i say i think there's, there's still a long way to go in it so when that initial seventh-day adventist story came was that something that you were motivated to cover yourself or it was an editor assigning that on your desk like how did you even come come across uh those initial inklings of, of a story yeah it, it's it's always a little bit of, of both but sometimes an editor will have a, a vague idea as to a, an idea or a, a title for a documentary series and then it's left to you, the reporter, to, to fill in the gaps and, and, and really to find the story. So I was asked to do a series, um, actually the very vague title of What If? What If? is all I was given. And, and so I added to that, well, what if we could stay young forever? And What If We Could Stay Young Forever became the title of a series of, of features that I did 
looking at, at different aspects of, of longevity from, from diet and exercise, etc. And that's what led me to, and I did some reading, obviously, and discovered Loma Linda. Uh, their longevity is quite well documented, and there's been a very, very long-term study with the university there looking at these people and, and, and really what goes into their longevity. So it was a story there that had been told before, but I wanted to dig a little bit deeper, go there, meet some people. I met some fantastic, incredible people, uh, centenarians included, who have lived uh, amazing lives in, in very many cases, very simple lives. And uh, for all you and I are interested in the science and the technology that goes into to living for a long time, sometimes it's, it's the simplicity of a, a basic lifestyle that'll actually help you achieve that. Yeah, no, I think that's an interesting point where perhaps one of the negative sides of being overly thoughtful or overly rigorous is that you stress yourself about keeping your biometrics straight or like keeping yourself, you're stressed out to, uh, to do all these routines where perhaps just being really, really relaxed and having a lot of downtime. I mean, it seems like there are communities like Sicilians or the Okinawans who have a much simpler, comparatively simpler lifestyles where they're not as rigorous around the diet, but it seems like they have like two, three hour lunches with their families. Um, perhaps, you know, that ends up driving like lowered cortisol levels, lowered stress levels. But I think these things are all interrelated, right? Like the human system is very complex network. How do we tweak not just one small aspect of like a diet, but everything else I think is yeah, not it is worth looking at. Yeah, I, I agree totally. And and one of the, the simplest things you can do for yourself is get up in the morning and go for a 30 minute walk. You don't need any technology. You don't need anything more than your shoes and a pair of shorts and T-shirt right. and, and off you go and have a great relaxing walk. You don't need tech to do that. But the exciting thing is and you know, looking to the future is how technology is helping us understand what that 30 minute walk is doing to us. And you don't have to embrace it, but if you do, I think you can be invigorated by looking at your watch, whichever kind of watch it is, they show right. your, your heart rate or, or whatever biometric you want to measure and understand how that is benefiting you. And, and then perhaps look later in the day when you're in a more stressful situation, you're behind your desk at work or whatever you're doing and you see your heart rate changing, a greater understanding of how different lifestyles are affected by uh, simple inputs, you know, right. those, those inputs that you talk about a lot that we yeah. can, that we can change. I think that is the exciting thing. That's what I enjoy doing. So I, I like embracing the simplicity of some of the very old fashioned things that we can do with, with the tech that we have to do. Yeah. So I'm curious how that journey started from the, from that initial, what if documentary series, um, how did that, you know, how did that connect you? It seemed to like, you know, from my understanding, that connected you to perhaps, you know, USC, Walter Longo's research, and then from there, sort of evolved from there. Uh, was there anything else missing in those dots? Or was it sort of like, once you yeah, saw well, these long, these centenarians, you're like, hey, I want to live to 100. Now I want to like copy some of their behaviors. Like, how did it, how did it evolve into... Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, the story there's, to like there's, a little bit of a personal of, hobby. Yeah, exactly. And there are lots, lots of elements in there. I suppose from from the the personal perspective, now I'll, I'll tell you about the the USC trial and the, and the Walter Longo connection, which did inspire me. But from a purely individual perspective, I've always been interested. I've you know in my thirties, I was I was running marathons and you know and have always been interested in in health and, and fitness. What's and your pursuing. marathon time? My best marathon time was three forty two. Okay. London okay. Marathon, which is is pretty respectable. I did yeah. uh, I did five altogether. So three forty two was the best I got. Have you done a marathon? No, 
but yeah. a couple of my colleagues here are doing half marathons. So right. uh, Michael, uh, 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 my co-founder, did a 125 half, and Good. Brianna right. did a 135 half. So they're 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 pretty speedy. They were like top 50. Uh, well, Brianna's like a top 50 woman finisher in the half marathon in San Francisco, and Michael was a top 100 overall out of like 5,000 people. So. Yeah, great. That's good. So, um, so yeah, cool. I mean, I was doing that, um, as I say, in my thirties and, you know, as you get older, your, your exercise regime changes, but my, my interest in, in the science and especially the tech side of things, uh, really increased in, let's say in the last 10 years or so, when I started to meet people like Walter at USC and others. So, so my journey has stems from a basic interest in, in my own longevity. And I think we all, you know, on a scale of one to 10, we vary considerably, don't we, as to how much we think about our longevity and why we want to live to be a great age. A lot of people, and this is one of the things I explore in my podcast, nearly always ask the same penultimate question. What do you think about your own longevity? Why do you want to live a great age if indeed you do? And everyone seems to have a, a slightly different answer to that. And, and What's your answer? Like my what, answer what, what is answer, your answer and what is the best answer you've heard? My answer, uh, a, a lot of the answers are, are quite similar, but the, the, the best answers are actually, there's a certain parallel with how I feel about my life and, and longevity in that life is good. Basically, life is potentially very good, lived the correct way, lived, lived the way that I want to live it. Um, and you might as well enjoy it because the alternative isn't particularly exciting. And there are, you know, this is a wonderful world and tech is exciting. You don't necessarily need tech to live that exciting life. But, you know, it's a it's a much smaller world, thanks to tech in, in, in many respects that we can we can we can travel, we can do things. And that's why I want to live, because I want to see, I'm a journalist, I often say it's because I want to see what happens next. You know, we're just tipping our fingers and toes into all of these things at the moment. But, but what's going to happen next? What will Apple be announcing in 10 years time? <laughs> you know, what infomercial from Apple or wh whichever tech giant is dominating the scene in 10 years time? What will they be telling us about? And I, mean, I can't wait to see. So, so that is a big part of why I want to keep on living. No, I, I that that definitely resonates with with myself, right? Like we have an infinite time of not having any consciousness, right? Like essentially an infinite amount of time where we weren't alive. There's going to be a close infinite amount of time that we're dead. So having a little bit more time of having some consciousness, some perception of reality, yeah, why not? Like it, it's fun. I, I think if you're basically healthy and have your needs covered, like you can always sort of revert into like a very fun childlike state of just like exploring the world where I think, yeah, yeah. I mean, you can get into like why people would want to die earlier, but um, yeah, I, I think people stress themselves out essentially <laughs> to the point where it's like, oh, it's not worth living anymore. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And, and yeah. the other element to this is, and I talk a lot about health span versus lifespan. And you, you hear anecdotally a lot of people say, oh, we're all living longer. And, right. and it's, it's true, we are living longer, but what state of health are we in, right. in the final decade or so? And, and that's that crucial health span stage. And, you know, we don't want to live long and be in a chair with a with a walker and you know right. and there are legions of people in that position in nursing homes or, you know whatever and you know clearly there's no alternative for some people and that is right. sad but there is a lot that we can do 
to extend that, those years, those healthy health span years, to optimize our health. And that is an, another key goal of my motivation, just to try to stave off those killer diseases of old age. And the, the, the scientific evidence, especially as it relates to cancer, is, is so exciting. Yeah. In, in terms of the things, the quite simple things we can do, especially as they apply to diet, to, to, to prevent perhaps some cancers or at least delay the time that they hit us. And then hopefully it's for quite a short period of time. Yeah, what are some of the interesting studies? I mean, I you know, I definitely have some in mind around interesting data around regenerating your immune system after you know three around three days of fasting. Really interesting data around the cancer effects around IGF one, uh, a growth factor that uh, you know, and I think it's like a trade off, right? Like you want growth factor to grow muscle, but if you overstimulate your growth factor, that fuels cancer cells. Um, but also things like ketone bodies, which are interesting because a lot of cancers uh, only can use sugar, glycolysis to produce energy. But if you can feed ketones instead, um, perhaps you can starve the cancer cells and fuel the healthy cells. I'm curious, um, what are the most interesting mechanisms, perhaps, that you've uncovered in your in your in your discovery here? Yeah, well, you you probably just mentioned it, IGF one and the possible connections with, with cancer and how we can how we can change those levels of IGF-1 through diet. And that really comes right back to the USC trial and, and the work of, of Walter Longo. And uh, so I was doing the What If series, and that's how I first met Walter. And he just said as a throwaway comment, look, I'm doing this clinical trial in a few months' time. You want to take part? And it was as simple as that. So I said, well, yeah, why not? So I was one of the first 19. He eventually had a, a sample of 100 people. But I was the first group of 19. And this is a, a trial that looked at the effects of a, a periodic fast. So it's a and it's a fasting mimicking diet. So it's not a, a complete fast of the kind of fast that, that you've been doing. So it, it, there is some limited amount of food designed clinically by USC. And it, it, the whole experience is quite clinical and scientific. It all comes in little little white boxes. And all you've got to do is just eat on day one, two, three, four, and five, what it gives you in the box. And those are basically plant-based uh, plant um, soups, a uh, little tiny energy bar. It's, it's a low-protein relatively high fat and low carbohydrate, um, five-day diet, about 1,100 calories on day one, about 700 calories on day two to five. Um, it's, it's a reduction enough to put you in into ketosis, certainly after a couple of days. And I, just like you, have felt that mental agility, that right. great feeling that you get when you're, you're in that state. And, and hence, it's the fasting mimicking, mimicking aspect of this, that it is from a scientific perspective mimicking perhaps what a, a full water fast would do and, and the potential benefits of that and one without of the being potential without starving yourself without having to be too too disciplined you have some satiation from exactly calories. yeah i think i think there are two um theories behind that one just that that for, for the vast still the vast majority of people uh, around the world, they can't face doing a fast. It, it right. is just unquestionably, no, I couldn't possibly do that. So the, the temptation that there is some food there, and actually reasonably nice food, is uh, I think it's, it's a good incentive for a lot right. of people. The other reason is that it's a, a safety factor, that fasting, and I always emphasize this, look, fasting can be dangerous for some people. Fasting can kill if you have, if, if there's the wrong... Yeah, I mean, it ends up being starvation, right? Like our, yes. our, our, our species have faced starvation for the longest time. And yeah, I mean, 
probably i would say famine is probably one of the biggest killers in in the history of humanity in, in a lot yeah. of ways right so like when we talk about fasting let's and i think that's the, the right caveat like consult your medical uh doctor and uh stay sensible right if you don't yeah. feel good you know and, just and don't don't do it even before it gets to the starvation phase there, there are other potential dangers like combining fasting with with certain medications is is not necessarily good, especially as it applies to, to blood pressure, because generally in a fasted state, your blood pressure will come down. But if you're on blood pressure medications to start with, that may not be a good thing. So there's a big red flag there. Obviously, nursing mothers, pregnant women, um, people with diabetes, heart disease, is all sorts of conditions. You just need to be super careful. So as you say, that, that's kind of the, the obvious health warning, talk to your doctor first. But um, once you get into that fasted state and you, you, you you do the five days. I mean, purely talking from my perspective, the result was, um, yes, weight loss of probably six to eight pounds over, over five days, which, wow. which sounds quite a lot. Yeah. Um, and the, my blood pressure came down slightly. And, and, and the key factor being IGF-1, insulin-like growth factor one, this secondary growth hormone. This is not GH. This is not growth hormone that your pituitary gland produces. Um, but perhaps not in, at the level Americans have in, in everyday life. So in other words, we can survive with considerably reduced levels of, of IGF-1. And the, the evidence, certainly from experiments with, with mice and other animals, suggests that the cancer prevention factor there. And the, the little sort of sidebar story here to this um, is the story of people with Laron syndrome. Laron syndrome affects about maybe 300, 400 people around the world. There are very group of people. They are the largest group live in Ecuador, southern Ecuador, and they have a, a genetic defect that means that they, they can't produce IGF-1. They have nominal levels of, of IGF-1. And as a result, they are short in stature. They're about three, three and a half feet tall. And the, the amazing thing about these people is, and this is statistically proven, that they just seem not to get cancer. And don't get cancer. Well, there's this one case that I'm aware of and the scientists in Ecuador and Volta Longo is aware of in Ecuador of a woman who did get cancer and die from cancer. But but generally speaking, compared with their siblings who may be normal in stature, who have normal levels of, of IGF-1, that the genetic defect they have is, is recessive. So it, it doesn't necessarily mean that all members of the family will be uh, in this way. So they'll have normal heighted um, siblings and, of course, if you look at uh, geo effects as well, their neighbors, um, the, the general diet of the community, if you want to take in all the factors that affect people's growth, um, they are significantly different in terms of their apparent um, resistance to, to cancer. cancer, diabetes as well. Hmm. So that, Any longevity data or is that too well? Too, too, too here's the other interesting thing. They, well, the, it, it's complicated in, in the fact that it's a small sample group. First of all, and they are they live in very remote areas of, of southern Ecuador. So gathering the data is quite difficult. But the evidence so far suggests that they do not. And this is kind of the spanner in the works. They do not live particularly long lives. They, they get to a good age, but then tend to die from from other things. There's actually quite a high rate of accidents amongst people with Laurentian. That may well be as simple as the fact that they are short. And they are more prone to, to road traffic accidents. <laughs> there is, you know, anecdotally, there's, they seem to be more susceptible to depression 
and, and suicide as well. And maybe that is as a result of being short and they don't want to be short. Right, so, social cultural factors rather than just straight of, physiology. Yeah. yeah, I mean, I think it's interesting. I think, I think that brings up an interesting point where I think a lot of these things are trade-offs, right? Because if you are trying to be a, a, a bodybuilder or trying to gain lean muscle tissue, growth factor, growth hormone is very beneficial for that. And it seems like as we get more and more understanding around these, how these things work, it seems like you'd want to essentially, perhaps potentially shift your body in different states. Sometimes you want to be really looking to put on mass. You might not want to be fasting. You want to change up your fasting routine. If you're really looking for a period of you know, recovery, anti-cancer, anti-metabolic syndrome, maybe you shift into a period of fasting. But I think it's like, I think it is naive to say this is like one size fits all. Everyone in the world should do this exact routine because everyone's goals is different. Everyone has a different starting point. Yeah, I, I agree. It, it, it certainly is, is, is not as simple as that. And it would right. be great if it was, but it, but it isn't. We are, we were all different. And not only are we all different, as you said, we all have different goals and, and aspirations. We don't all want to lift weights. I think an element of, of weightlifting is probably good yep. for most of us, especially as we get older to maintain muscle mass. But we don't always want to do that. We don't all want to be marathon runners. So yes, we have, we have different goals. And, and especially if you adopt fasting on a regular basis and the idea behind periodic fasting is that you don't just do it once of course for five days you need to to revisit it because your igf1 may come down but then it's eventually going to go up again as as you refeed so there's a lot of work going on at the moment uh to to try to determine how frequently should one fast in terms of optimizing this five days how frequent so do you need to do it every month The, the clinical trial was actually every month for three months Maybe that's too much. Maybe it's every three months, every six months. And again, it isn't a one size fits all. So we're all going to be different in that respect. But one, one interesting thing you, you mentioned about muscle mass. One thing that I noticed and, and others have mentioned, again, purely anecdotally at this stage, is that after the, the five days and let's say over the next couple of weeks when you're sort of refeeding, I have noticed that my muscle strength, obviously you lose a bit of muscle strength while you're fasting. Um, but it comes back really quickly to a point where, and this is purely based on my one-man experiments at the gym and keeping lots of data, is that I, f- I am stronger and can perform better a couple of weeks after a fast right. than I did before. And I think, I mean, logic would tell me that what's happening there, well, your muscle cells, a little bit like your immune system is kind of rebuilding itself, y- your muscle cells are regrowing and, and, and you, you're developing a new a new system, which is obviously new cells, bigger, better, stronger. Right. It's just an, another element of, of fasting that, uh, to me, seems potentially to be quite positive. Yeah, no, I think that reflects in my own data as, as well. And I think that matches literature around, I know in a, you know, a multiple day water fast, human growth hormone uh, actually elevates. Uh, and I, I, yeah, and I, IGF-1 drops. Um, but the thinking behind that is that your body wants to retain functional lean muscle tissue and growth hormone helps with that and burn off fat, right? Like the body is smart enough to realize that, hey, we should not be burning functional tissue. We have all these fat reserves on our body. Um, so I'm curious. So basically, was that like a tipping point for yourself after you saw the data on your own body? You're like, whoa, I can actually measure something. It's not just like in my own head. There's actually biomarkers that actually show potential that this is healthy for me long term, that you became, is this like now part of your daily lifestyle? Um, was that a tipping point for yourself? Yeah, yeah. 
it was it was certainly a tipping point in seeing my own data and i think that you you you, you see it yep. there in, in kind of black and white or on a computer screen or whatever and you know it, it's about you and if especially if it correlates with how you feel and as i say i i feel this kind of renewed sense of sense of strength immediately after a fast if you can then look at the data and have that explained as to why you are probably feeling like that it's it motivates you and it certainly motivated me i've since the clinical trial which was uh, about four years ago so this was just this was just a one one five day fast mimicking diet trial or is this over three three of these five days over three months Correct. The, the, okay. the initial the initial clinical trial was was three times five. So uh, three okay. sets of five days over three months. But but then what I did and, and really going exactly to your point, I, I saw this, I learned this about myself and thought, well, that, that's pretty cool. That, that's quite exciting. <laughs> However, there isn't much point in me just doing a one off clinical trial and leaving it there. You've right. got to this is long term science. We are talking about longevity. So you've got to try and see it through. So since then, I've, I've revisited that five day uh, periodic fast several times over over a dozen times now um, I, but experimenting each time leaving different gaps between the fasts and, I, and I'm still working on that and I, I know that that Volta Longo is still working on that as well and and uh, this is the, the company behind the, the food is now commercially available but you know the experiments go on the, the, the company El Nutra based in Los Angeles uh, working with doctors now around the world and dietitians to to, yeah. um, to to use this food so it and it's ongoing research in terms of what is the optimum time to, to leave between so that's what I've been experimenting with what I'm actually planning to do in the next probably the next six months is is revisit a more in, intense use period of, of this five-day fast and maybe again do it once a month for at least three months so I'm actually curious so like what so when you do these five-day uh, you know, I guess calorically restricted ketogenic, you know, weeks. Uh, what has been, a, it's not like you're still experimenting, but like, have you settled on a typical rhythm or is it, um, you feel like you're kind of not feeling that good and you want to sort of re-jump re, re start your system? Yeah, I, I actually have. Um, I've found that the rhythm, I think, that, that works for me. And th there's always a, a social, I mean, you'll have found this a million times probably, there's, there's a social element to this in terms right. of when you're, when you're doing your, your fasting. So I settle on a Thursday, and on, on a Sunday to Thursday regime. So whereas day one is, is Sunday, and I, you know, you've got to choose your weeks, choose your weeks when it's going to be appropriate. There is an element, and as a one <clears throat> downside of this particular diet, and this is the food that, that originally was supplied by USC, um, is that there is an element of, of cooking involved and that you need a stove to prepare the soups. Some, some, are, some you can prepare in a microwave, but others, um, I think there's a, a lentil soup, you, you do need to slowly cook it over a period of 15 minutes. Are you minutes. making your own foods or are you still using the, uh, the, the, the pre-prepared foods? I'm still well, using I'm okay. still using the the pre-prepared foods, yeah. which um, I I think I want to stick with. I'm include. I know a lot of people. You've just got to go online. People are, are mimicking the official five-day diet, right. and 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 yeah, you can do that. I think. Um, but it sounds like it's much more convenient. Everything's counted out for you. Well, exactly. Everything is counted out for you. You just, as I say, you just eat what is in the box. And right. and, and so I do it a, a Sunday to Thursday regime. And that's a little bit of psychology there in that there's a Friday and a Saturday 
to look forward to, which are generally the most sociable days. Right. So that, and you've got to be careful on day six, which is the Friday, the, the getting back to normal. You, you can't just go and splurge and, and eat what you like. You've got to be, yeah. you've got to ease back into it. Yeah. Um, but certainly by Saturday, you, you're kind of pretty much back back to normal. And, um, you know, it's it's a reward. It's something to, to look forward to because for all, I, I increasingly enjoy the feeling of, of being fasted. I enjoy the, the, the ketosis feeling, the mental agility. Um, Are you fasted right now? No. I'm, fa- I'm, I'm about 40 hours into a fast. Oh, are you? Actually. Right. Yeah. I would yeah. never have known. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but so how do you feel right now? It's always like a refreshing set, you know, set point to just re sort of calibrate your week around a typical rhythm. Uh, generally, uh, very clear minded, uh, I had some hard workouts the week before, so I wanted to give my time or body time to like you know reduce inflammation and sort of recover and, and heal. So doing a little bit of a little longer fast than my typical thirty six hour fast. Yeah. Um, have you tried? I've, yeah. I, oh, you could just ask me if I've ever tried thirty six hours. Well, yeah, I was going to ask. Like, it sounds like you've been very very diligent around a fast mimicking diet, but I'm curious, have you gone full into just a pure water fast? I, I, I haven't, and, and I, I should try that. I um, the, the closest I've come to, I've done quite a lot of 16-8. Okay. So I will, will, you know, evening meal early and, and not eat till late morning. Right. Um, I do that quite regularly, and I, I enjoy that, and I find it very easy. Um, I enjoy those mornings, and I usually, on so, so my routine for that 36 hours, be interesting to compare it with yours, is obviously you have a kind of normal day, finish on a on an evening meal, um, and then do your your long uh, sixteen hours of fasting. Right. Um, and I try to do a lot. I really the purpose there is to achieve a lot while I'm not eating. So I will I'll get up early. I generally go for a, a swim and maybe a swim and a, a long walk, stroke run early on, and then get to the office. And then you look at the clock and it's already eleven a.m. So it's it's pretty much over, and I, I I try to embrace that mental agility right towards the end of the fasting period, and often find myself going way over the time because I just haven't looked at the clock and I'm busy right. and I'm getting and things yeah done. just in flow state yeah 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 exactly so I so I really enjoy that. But to answer your question, so that's as as far as I've gone. I haven't actually gone any further than, than than sixteen hours, apart from a couple of times because of medical procedures, surgeries, that kind of thing. Right. You know. The colonoscopy experience, you know, <laughs> <laughs> that's enforced fasting. But yeah. uh, apart from that, I haven't. Why? Just, just it seems hard. But I mean, it sounds like if you are relatively good at getting into ketosis, it seems like it'd be something that's yeah very doable no, for yourself. I'm, I'm sure it is. And I'm, I'm not. Yeah. I'm not particularly averse to it. It's just I just haven't got around to doing it yet. Um, and <laughs> I, I, I need to apply myself and and, and set to and do it. Yeah. Uh, and I and I will do it just to to, to see what it's like. Um, but I, I, I like the idea of something that I can easily fit into my lifestyle. Because I think if you look at the bigger picture, yep. drawing, drawing in people, that those that I mentioned that are, are totally averse to the idea of, of fasting or anything like it. And if you, know, if you and I and you know, the, the scientific community, or at least part of it, agrees that, that fasting is potentially good for some people, I think the next stage is to get people to embrace it. And that, I, yep. know, I know that that's what Walter Longo wants to do, and that's a big theory behind the fasting mimicking diet, that it is perhaps more attainable for more people. Because it's all very well, the likes of you and I embracing this, but yeah. to the greater good, you know, the, the obesity problem that affects America especially. But I mean, I, I mean, uh, to me, um, I thought, you know, 
studying the exact you know literature and how the diet was constructed it seems to me just like a generally healthy meals right like like these are low carbohydrate low refined sugar meals relatively low protein and then higher amounts of healthy fat meals right like these are sort of classic uh low carb meals that uh are with like reasonable whole foods and all of that so it's just almost in a way just like reverting to basic simple uh meals and, and don't eat too lot don't 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 eat too much where it's like not even like going into fasting or it's it's calorically restricting to some level but in, in some ways it's like yeah you're just eating like a pretty healthy pretty healthily for five days yeah in, in some yeah. ways right yeah yeah and that and that's where you can combine what we understand now and of course there's nothing new about fasting i mean fasting goes back <laughs> centuries and different right. religions adopted thousands fasting. of years thousands right? of thousands yeah of yeah um so there's nothing new in that, but what is new is our understanding, and it, as it develops, our, yeah. our understanding of, of why fasting is potentially good, and but also, as you say, the combination with a, a you know a, a simple lifestyle that in it, the our mothers and grandmothers maybe understood and understand, right. um, combining that sort of ethos with with the science and again the tech that we can use to monitor the fasting yeah. i think all together is potentially to the greater good yeah absolutely i think my sense is that just like how exercise is now everyone has their own routines for exercise it's clearly like generally health healthful to do that and there's all these different schools of thought i see perhaps the same thing happening with fasting where fasting the, the broad concept is generally going to be seen seen as healthful and there's different schools and different protocols to, to do you know fasting for people's certain goals that that seems to be a reasonable sense of the future given historical context um yeah I, moving I, I any last thoughts on fasting i'm just curious to sort of instead of you know seeing you know what other interesting things have you seen given your llama podcast and, and you have a, a broad swath of interesting folks coming onto your show um what else have you seen or have you adopted into your personal lifestyle or considering to adopt to your personal lifestyle that's not perhaps food or diet related? Right. So if it's not food and it's not diet related yeah. or even exercise related, I suppose the, <clears throat> the element that I would acknowledge that I could do better on is actually probably that spiritual side, the, the, the one that I mentioned from the people right. of Loma Linda. They have their exercise, they have their diet. And then this, it's very difficult to quantify but there clearly is something there. And of course, you know, everyone, you know, people talk about meditation and a, a mindful way of life. And, uh, and that's big where you are, especially. Um, it was, uh, was it Phil Libin who you introduced me to? <laughs> a great conversation for the podcast. Yeah. Said, uh, you know, you have to be a little bit crazy to do any of this. But crazy is accepted in San Francisco. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> and, it, and it's right. But I think that, that's spreading. And, you know, if you consider, I don't necessarily consider meditation or mindful practices to be crazy. But it's right. the area that I think I could do better at. And I think I've learned from whether it's the I mean, I interviewed a great 102-year-old woman a few, a few weeks ago, Ethel Travis. She lives down in Newport Beach. And we had a fantastic conversation for the podcast. And she hadn't particularly throughout her life paid too much attention to her diet or her exercise regime. She, she was a ballerina in her younger life. So she was clearly flexible fit, and agile yeah. and, and fit. But she, she didn't obsess over her, especially her diet. But the big factor, and especially in her latter years, and right now, I, I drew from her was that she had a great social life. 
and she put effort into her social life, into meeting once a week. She described them as her girls, her group of friends. She has a book club. They get a book, they read it, they get together over a meal and they discuss their book. Right. And she goes to stretching classes and uh, she likes nothing more than just going out to dinner with people, friends or having people over to her, her apartment. And I, I think that element of having something just to look forward to from a, a spiritual, mindful perspective, if, however you want to describe it, I think is a big part of what keeps her going. And, yeah, I, and I, I think we can't ignore that. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm actually curious, like, is that cause and or is that effect? Because you can imagine, you know, the skeptic and or not, not the skeptic, but just like the scientists like, OK, is is Ethel just just an energetic 102 year old? And therefore, she's applying our, all her energy to all these social activities. Or is it the reverse where she's doing all these activities, filling her life with an abundance of, you know, activities and, and joy? that that's making her live longer, right? Like maybe it is just like a virtuous cycle. I, I, who, I, yeah. who knows? It's, it's an open question, perhaps. It, it's, a, it's a totally open question. And I think it, everything is intertwined. So I think it is the, uh, the, the this, this cause and effect. You know, she, 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 I think a big, a huge part of this is just doing the doing. She, her body is moving. She's, her mind is working. She's planning ahead. She's thinking about people. She's organizing the next event. And then, to, to achieve that, her body physically reacts to to, to, right. to actually get there. So everything is working, all you know, from from the brain to to her legs to her eyes. You know, everything is involved. So the, the synapses might be snapping in her brain, but, but you know, it's it's a full body experience for her. And I think yeah. that you know, I mean, they they say you know, aircraft the best in the sky. Just keep them moving, keep them working. They're, they're engines. Right. Uh, engines are best when they're working and the, I mean you know more about this than I do but, you know the, the, see the body as an engine and keep it moving and it and it, it keeps working yeah it stands to reason I think we've all probably anecdotally have seen older folks in our lives who seem like they're just sort of dimming in terms of like the joy of like doing things and it's like if it, 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 yeah so it's interesting is that the cause or an effect if you know where does that spark come from can you if you are you know getting into, you know, more of the later stages of life, can you sort of mind over matter, like refine some spark? Yeah, yeah, I think, yeah, I think you can. And another, another guest I had, uh, a guy called Floyd Norman, he's 82 years old. He, he's quite well known. He's famous in the animation world. He was one, he was the first black animator to be employed by the Walt Disney Company. He worked with Walt Disney in the, whenever it was, 1950s. And um, he um, he kind of made news because at the age of 65, he was asked to retire. He was forced to retire by Disney. That was just the, the, the time that the people, as, as in most modes of life, you, that is when you retire, 65. And um, he didn't want to retire. He hated it. He was depressed at, at home and he kind of forced his way back into the, the company by going freelance. And to this day, at the age of 82, he is still working, doing what he loves. And that is as a, as a cartoonist. And he's still... He's still doing that, and he wanders around the the, the Disney lot, and uh, he's still got a, a purposeful life. But I talked to him about how he stays young, and one of the things he does, and it's, it's really fascinating. He he's moved with the times. He isn't just one of the old guys guys with a, a pencil and paper. He has embraced technology. He's embraced embraced digital editing, and um, he used Final Cut Pro Seven for a long time, like a lot of people, and then Final Cut Ten was introduced. Many editors hated that and were forced to to, to learn from scratch the, the, the craft of editing using a, a different software. 
he did that himself. He embraced it. I mean, many, many others in his position would have shied away. Yeah, from it's that. rare. But it's he, rare. He embraced the embraced it perhaps more than someone fifty years younger might have right. embraced that particular task. And and he says that is one of the big things that keeps him young by by facing up to these challenges and uh, and being with younger people as well. He says most of the people that he works with now, I mean, clearly, and it's kind of obvious that they would be younger. But he embraces the fact that they are younger than he is to 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 work with and to socialize with yeah i think there's definitely a notion around if and i think that's like a big part of like the fasting communities or just talking to other biohackers or people interested in longevity right like if more and more people around you are talking about exploring these concepts around being more healthful um you naturally gravitate and, and shift your own behaviors more towards that new normal as opposed to i think a very uh complacent uh, standard culture that doesn't really care about health until you're actually sick. Yeah, that's a, that's a really good point. And I think th th what we do socially and how we interact with people who are, are like-minded, and I mean, it's why I like talking to you, you know, and, and <laughs> people doing the kind of work that you do, because you are enthused by the knowledge of others trying and experimenting with things that, that, that you're playing around with. And right. I think, I think, I mean, you have your, your breakfasts, uh, and I really enjoyed that day because there's a group of like-minded people. Um, all, you know, no one's quite certain as to how this is affecting us, but I think the, the, the group knowledge that you can glean from something like that is, is motivating. Yeah. And I, I think it's just the same as you know, our 82-year-old you know, animator working with, with younger people doing the same kind of work. You, you can draw a lot from that. It's, it's difficult to, to quantify this. There are no, there's, you, know, you can't really apply data to what we're getting from that social situation but it, it's it's tangible to me that you we do benefit a lot from it yeah i think it's like setting culture right like if, if people are saying that hey like the default norm is kind of just normal well it's not it's just like actually just like kind of a kind of a crappy culture that's not really well defined or thoughtful we actually have some audience questions um what did you take for granted most when you're younger now that you appreciate being older and exciting longevity. Mm, that, that's a that's a great question. Um, taking for granted when I was younger. Well, I think if I maybe turn the question around a little bit. It's not so much taking for granted. It's just not thinking about your health and longevity. And and I suppose therefore you're taking for granted your ability to run a marathon at the age of 32 or whatever it is. Um, so so yes, you are taking for granted. Your, your state of health and, and what you can achieve at that young age and perhaps not thinking about. And you know, if I, if any you know, 20 year old, 30 year old asked me for advice, it would be to think more seriously about the progression over the years and what you can do when you're younger to perhaps slow down that progression, that deterioration, that inevitable deterioration in your, in your physical ability that is clearly going to happen to all of yeah. us. But, but we all know that uh, you know there are things we can do. So I, th I suppose, I mean, it's kind of obvious. You you take for granted what you can do. Yeah, yeah. I, I think it's funny. It's like this is like the old fogey advice that you hear like as you're growing up. But you know, but I I feel that more and more as like you just don't recover as fast, or you have like these you know niggling injuries that take longer to heal, or um, yeah, you you can't necessarily run as fast as you did when you're you know 22. Um, yeah, it, yeah. It, yeah, it's yeah. interesting. It's like, now I feel like I'm like being like the old, you know, guy on the porch being like, yeah, like, you know, 
be thoughtful, like maintain your when you're early. Uh, but I, I think it's like a kind of a learning process for people. I think when you are young, it, 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 there is some sort of bliss to the naiveness of, of being youthful. But hopefully, I think with culture, with things that we're talking about and educating people on, people can be a little bit more thoughtful when they're growing up and have like the abundance of energy to be experimenting with some of these longevity uh, behaviors. Yeah, yeah, and I think, and the same applies to diet, of course, when you're young as well. You you tend to, and I think when you're younger, you focus on other things. You focus on on school or career or or sports or whatever your thing happens, or all of them, whatever your thing happens to be. And uh, certainly, I didn't think about food. I mean, clearly, our understanding of food w- was different then. But I would just eat anything that I wanted to eat, and get, gave no thought at all. So, and I was taking. For granted, I suppose, the fact that it didn't seem to affect me at the time, but with hindsight, I mean, clearly it was affecting me. Um, I think you're you're better able to cope with bad stuff, bad food, and it was pretty bad in in many cases um, at a younger age. But, um, you know, given if you could turn the clock back, that's one thing I would certainly change is um, optimize earlier, right? Just be more thoughtful earlier. Yeah, 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 exactly. Yeah. I'm going to adapt a question here uh, as, as a nice segue So, or to, to wrap up here. So what are you excited about moving forward? Uh, what are the most interesting technologies, interesting developments? I know you mentioned a little bit about looking forward to the new Apple Watch. What are the, the key things that you're most excited about in the, in the, in the, in the coming few months, coming years? I, I'm quite looking forward to actually getting even more sort of geeky about this and because the more I understand, the more I want to to gather the data about myself and do more self-experimenting. And, and I know that's not for everyone, but I, because we can, because we have the t- technology that enables us to, to, to swim with a watch and to count the laps and to monitor your heart rate and apparently now to monitor your recovery rate and, and see how your heart rate changes during the day, I want to actually, I'm excited about gathering more of that data about myself, and, and but applying the knowledge and, and doing more fasting and maybe modifying the kind of fasting that I do over over a period of time because I I feel the benefits. I actually feel, and this is incredibly cliche to say this, but I feel at my age uh, way better than I did 20 years ago because I'm applying it. I'm, my diet is much more sensible and I think it's it's much more fully thought through. I'm, I'm benefiting from, from fasting. I think I want to do more fasting. Um, and I, I, you know, I'm not so going to go. Does it look like blood work? Does it look like yeah. crazy wearables, like pseudo implants? Because I know you probably saw me wearing a continuous glucose monitor at some point. Yeah. 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 What does that look like? What are, what are those, the, the, the tangibles? Are you yeah. going uh, to be in like drawing 17 vials of blood every week? <laughs> well, uh, I, I suppose if I could, I probably would. Um, and then reality dawns, and these things are expensive, and these things are time-consuming. So you have to you have to temper everything with with reality. But yeah, I think certainly more, more blood testing. Uh, I haven't tried the glucose monitoring that you did, but m- maybe I should do that as as well. But but just the the tech on my arm, just the the the, the monitoring of of you know the, the biomarkers that are quite you know the data that's quite easy to gather. Um, I think I want to gather more of that and, um, you know, kind of reflecting what we started by talking about. Life is quite short and, you know, there's a limited number of years and um, I do want to see what happens next all the time. But you might as well just embrace it 
and do it. And, you know, I think y your mindset is probably similar to mine that, you know, uh, you, you might as well do it now because, you know, it, it's going to be different in 20 years time. So um, do it now, experiment with it now and, and kind of go with the flow in terms of where the technology and the science takes us. And, and I'm, I'm always pretty strong on going with where the science takes us. If, if science suddenly starts to tell us that fasting is bad or you know, even periodic fasting or intermittent fasting, if there's some factor in there we suddenly discover, you know, I can change direction. I'm, yeah. I'm, I don't have a dogged approach. This is, this, yeah, this is not a religion. This is, we're, we're trying to be data driven here around enhancing right. our own life, not like trying to ascribe to fasting yeah. as a new, yeah. you know, new yeah, age yeah. religion. Yeah, I don't, we, I don't, yeah, I think that's, I think we align very much closely there. Like we're here, we're generally healthy and we want to be more healthy. Yeah. Let's yeah. be smart about it. Yeah. And it's fun. I mean, you, you can't <laughs> deny the fact that what you do and what I do it is fun to do. I love meeting all of these people I talk to for the podcast, from the distinguished scientists to the 102-year-olds. They all have different messages and different life stories. Very often, it really amazes me sometimes, you'll ask the same question of people from very different walks of life, and you get pretty much the same answer based on different experiences. And, and that kind of, about lifestyle, especially the sort of spiritual side of life. That, and that, that really interests me. So I, I love the, that, that journey that I'm going on, meeting all these uh, different people and, and learning from them. Well, thank you. I think that's a great closing thought. Let's keep going on adventures and learning from more people. And it sounds like definitely, you know, for the audience out there, check out the Llama podcast. Sounds like there's a couple of great guests. And I know you have like, you know, Phil Libin on there as well, who's a friend of mine who's been doing a lot of fasting. Uh, I didn't know him when he was overweight, but like you look at old photos of him and he was a oh. big, big dude. He yeah. Was, yeah. And now well, like he's like a nice, slim, fit looking gentleman. So yeah, yeah. Uh, check he's, those he's, episodes he's, out. He's got, a, he has, I mean, you know his story. He's got, he's got a, a great story. It's quite a, it's an extreme story and it, it, it's a quite a, a unique story, but he tells it very well. And, <laughs> uh, you know, his experience and, and from, from what I can gather, he's still doing it. And uh, the, the interesting thing he's figuring out, of course, he's got to his optimum weight, but he wants to figure out how he continue fasting in the future, yep. obviously without losing too much more weight, because that, that wouldn't necessarily be good for him. But he just loves, as he puts it, the mental euphoria of that, yeah. of that state that you get into. Yeah, absolutely. Peter, it's always fun to, to chat. So I'm sure we'll c continue the conversation. Of course, Thank when you. you drop by next to San Francisco, please come again and, Will do. Likewise. and I'll drop you a line when I'm down and, in LA. And, uh, what, what, one thing I should do that we talked about a number of times, I should start some breakfasts here in Los Angeles to get a few uh, like-minded people together. If, yeah, if anyone listens, breakfast in LA. Anyone listening, anyone watching, um, get, get in touch with me uh, through uh, Peter Bowes or, or wherever, and uh, we'll, we'll try and organize something. All right. Cheers. Right. Thank you Thanks, so much. Jeff. Okay. Bye-bye. Bye. Peace. Awesome. Uh, Peter is one of the few people that, you know, I've come across that are just so energetic and so curious around, and it just has, you know, an aura of positive energy. And I think um, that's the type of people that we need around changing culture and changing how we think about fasting or other longevity uh, benefiting routines. Um, I'm sure we'll you know, we'll get updates from his adventures and his routines and, and his thinking as it evolves through his uh, experiences learning and in, in, in biohacking. Um, as always, uh, love the audience questions. Uh, definitely keep those coming in. Zill uh, is going to have those up before the podcast so we can get your questions, your concerns, your, 
your your hard jabs in there. Um, as always, we'll be on weekly. Find us on Apple, find us on YouTube, SoundCloud, and Google. Thanks so much. See you next week.